0: There's quite a lot of um, serious, serious undertaking you've you've um, you've gone ahead with here. Acid rain, acid thunder, and there's another one to come. Yeah, that's the idea. So that's
1: what... the idea. The, other, the the one to come will be. I mean, the first one was basically kind of. Ian said to me, "Acid, we got tracks. Have a look at tracks, and 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 then when you get into tracks, that's the the the, the beauty of." Disc dogs <coughs> is that you go tracks and then you've got everything, and then it goes associated labels, and then you go into that, and then you go, Oh, he made a record on that label, where else has he made a record? And, and you know, it's like a, um, you know, who do you, do you know who you are? You know, one of them kind of like genealogy, genealogy <laughs> programs. So you can, then you're kind of following people around, and you're, you're listening, and then you can still listen to most records on, on YouTube. Oh, I like that. Let's have that. And, you know, if if they've signed one, then you can get another one, and it works one. So, you know, the whole thing was great. And we, um, we, so we did, we did tracks and tracks, um, Oh, kind of so, the, the tracks box set was you? No, no, that, that was Ian. Ar- Ian done that after Acid Rain.
0: Right, okay, so let's take it back. Terry Farley, um, we're, we're going back in time. We've got a connection with. Uh, you want some volume? Turn it down a bit. Oh, you want some volume down? Um, which one is it over here? Oh, yeah, that was on full volume. Man. Yeah, it was. It was bashing <laughs> you. He's only got one ear on. Because is, is, have you only got one go headphone on or one ear? Cause you, that's fine. You,
1: no, no, I'm fine now. No. On. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. so it's not a case of uh, you've got to avoid, you haven't got a misbalance no, of no, your ears. after all these years. <laughs> I've had that. I've had moments of uh,
1: of uh, chaos and my, uh, yeah. trauma. I mean, my tinnitus is, is absolutely dreadful. Well, still now? Yeah, yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, you go to bed and you get the hum, whatever. I've got it
1: 24-7 and, and I wake up every morning and it's like I've got a flock of birds outside the house you know wow and uh when did you
0: um god that is pretty intense and when did you when did you when, when was the moment that it first started do you remember um you got a clear moment of your
1: not really no to be honest with you, it crept up on me you know it's uh, it crept up on you yeah it crept up on me and, and a lot of people about five even maybe even 10 years ago a lot of kind of djs were were started to use earplugs and I was like, no, no, no! I need to be in the moment. I need to be, you know, I need to be feeling it, yeah. you know. And it, I, st- I still, I you know. still, still do. So, do you I, still? Are you wearing plugs now? No, no. So I, it's I, difficult. So I, um, I, I just ducked it and and it went on and on and on, and then it just got to the point where I thought, you know, if it gets any worse, I, I'm, I'm banging trouble. You know, it, it's, it's livable. At the moment. Um, but I see it, it. was It was quite strange. Because I see this post on Facebook. Uh, Japanese DJ. Who said he was going off Facebook for a while. And he wouldn't be DJing for a few months. Because his tinnitus was really, really bad. And uh, he was actually thinking. If it's going to be like this. He was thinking of taking his life. You know. Um.
0: They're, ex- they're extreme in Japan.
1: <laughs> they are extreme. I mean it was kind of like a house you know, kamikaze, kind of... Uh, get the samurai sword out, you know, fall on your sword. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you would do that in house terms, but... <laughs> and I just thought, you know what, I've got to go. And I went to Harley Street, and I got these ears plugs that were kind of moulded to my ears, yeah. and etc. Uh, etc. Et and And now when I DJ, I put them in, and then I take them out as I'm mixing, and I stick them back in. That's You know what, that's
0: almost worse, can I just say that? Because the
1: thing about it is that when you go into a club...
0: And you haven't got them in, and then you put them in when you're in the club, and then you take them out in between bits. That's when you're getting the trauma in the ear. So in a way, you just got to basically either go in there and allow the ears to get used to it, loud. Yeah. But if you start putting things in and out through
1: the night, you'll you. Do you know what I mean? There's more. That's what I found anyway. Okay, it's my excuse. Okay. okay. Well, I mean, I. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to say it's been all right because I used to get you know I used to wake up every morning with a headache, and I and that doesn't happen anymore. So um, I'm quite pleased with that. Um, but you know it's just it's just general. I mean you know I'm i got really deaf as well. You know I watch I watch the telly and you know um, every other. What did he say? You know I'm turning to, to Mrs. You know especially you watch something like Homelands. You know oh what did he say? What did he say? And we've got it right up loud, you know it's, it's just it's it's uh you know deep house war wounds isn't it yeah uh, have you got any have you got any kids yeah yeah and uh, would
0: you would you recommend that they do what you've done in, for a career
1: no uh, but ne- neither of them are really into music you know, my son's studying to be an actor uh he's nineteen and my daughter's uh twenty four and she's training to be a teacher um
0: if you'd have, if you sort of went past uh Shum t- tomorrow and it was like exactly like it was yeah. back in 86 or eighty seven whenever that was um, and you saw your daughter walking out um how would you feel um how would i feel um,
1: walking out the way you
0: were walking out at five o 'clock yeah, in the
1: morning oh, okay okay <laughs> um you, you know what i i i 've got to say i 've got to say um I, I would probably be worried i 'd probably be worried because I'm um, I'm 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 an advocate of acid house. I think you know acid house and and, and everything that it entails does far more good than bad. But when it's your own children, you worry. You know mm. you want you know uh, my my son's not interested. You know in music at all. He's he's big fat. He's he's into acting and he's very serious about his acting. And he loves musical theatre and you know Book of Mormons and all that old rubbish you know <laughs> and he loves listening to all the mu- you know musicals but you know he goes out and when he goes out he will go to some like club in kingston where he's got far more chance of getting himself in trouble than he would if he went to fabric you know, and I've actually said, you know, look, you want to go? Why don't you go fabric with the kids from uni? And I could get you in. I could make a call. Oh, it's too far, and oh, it just sounds like one record all night. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I am. I'm 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 proud of kind of you know acid house and and the change that it made in people. It made you know positive change and a positive change I think to society as well. Take us back, take us
0: back to the moments of that sort of turning point in youth culture here and uh, what you were doing before, what led you into it, and uh, you know the history.
1: Well, I I mean, I, I I was I was just a kid who was obsessed with clothes, football, and records. That was it. I had nothing else, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in North Kensington, um, an area where, you know, it was very poor, but my cousins, the, ki- the older kids in the street, the men who would go, you know, we had a pub opposite us, and the men who would turn up at the pub on a Saturday night, very stylish, you know, they would all wear their suits, this is like the late 60s, early 70s, you know, but they probably only owned one suit. How old are you? I'm um, 54, 55. Uh, and they would turn up in suits you know it's probably the only thing they owned of any, any but they would look cool and they would look good and, and, and I kind of you know I was always like into that we'd go shopping Shepherd Bush Market wouldn't on a Saturday and we'd walk past every reggae shop in Bush Market you know and you'd listen to these records coming out and the bass and the street on the street would be packed full of Jamaicans you know all dressed up all like dancing around and you just like yeah, that's it. This is it. You know what I mean? And um, and I just started buying records. And, and you, you all know this. No one wanted to be a DJ. No one was interested in being a DJ. You'd go to a party, you'd bring your records along, and you'd be stuck in the corner. And, uh, you know, you'd play some records that everyone liked. And they woo, and someone would give you a little nod. Right? But everyone was just copping off with girls or dancing. Not interested at all. Um, And then I think it was... About 86, uh, a friend of mine, Gary Hazeman and Paul Dennis. Um, Gary
0: Hazeman, Acid. Acid, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, he was... I'd known him since I was about 16. He um he knocked on my door, actually. It was a funny story. When, 1976, he knocked on my door and he had just gone to uh, Saturday night. He had His mate had a car and he knocked on my door and he had just gone to... Uh, Sex Vivian Westwood's shop, and he had a pair of red pegs with uh gold lame stri- f- uh, strains through uh winkle picker shoes, which were about a size 15 when he was only an eight, just because of the tu the 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 pointy toe was so long, and uh, and a mohair jumper. And, and my dad went potty, you All know, right. when I when I go, who's he? Who is like, you know bloody puffs and all this, and it was just like, yes, this is wonderful, you know what I mean this is wonderful, but you know so Gary was a kind of was a an inspiration for me you know he was a, a, a top London face did you used to go to because I remember my mate who I was uh,
0: who kind of got me into the scene and stuff when I was 14, 15 I can't remember exactly and he used to—he was obviously there's always the Gary, my Gary Hazeman type of person yeah. and he took me to um, the King's Roads and we used to go to Jones in the King's Roads yeah. and uh, we used to go to a shop in Kingston that used to sell sh- um, sh- shoes called Pods do you remember Pods? I, I, yeah I was a bit old for Pods were you a little bit old for Pods? Yeah, where but, does that fit me? Well, I mean I remember Shoe was on the TV, and he used to wear pegs. I
1: used to quite like his look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you no, know, kind of pods were the, the 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 next generation, right? Up, you know, we kind of yeah. What? Ne-
0: what older than you?
1: No, down. Oh, because yeah, that, 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 that would be me then. Yeah, the, it? the 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 new lot coming through late seventies, right? Into in, in, uh, okay. pods, in, <laughs> in, <laughs> but it was it was quite funny then because I remember, you know, what we're talking like about age now, and I mean, you know, you're a kind of similar generation to me. Uh, i the pod generation. and um, But it was so different. You know, my cousin, I had a cousin, well, he's still, he's still around, called Ray, who was a, a really big mod face where, where we come from. And one night I was getting ready um, to go to Skindles, which was like a soul club in, in Maidenhead, um, which was really good. you got a lot of really good dancers travelling from West London and, and North West London to there. And he popped round my house for some reason, I don't, I don't know what it was, and he was like, oh, you know, what's them shoes, what's that, you know, and he was he was 27, I think, you know, and I was 20, oh, you know, where are you going, oh, we're going, we're going to uh, Skindles, you know, you should come, you know, because he was, like, into Motown and all this, you know, I said, you know, they like fat-back band, you know, I players, and they play, like, you know, kind of... Uh, the, all this kind of funk that's coming from New York all on, all on import and he was going it oh, sounds amazing was, why don't you come and I thought God if I could actually go out with my you know this guy who's who you'd always looked up to as a kid and he was I'm too old I, I couldn't go to a nightclub I'm 27 and uh, nowadays I mean that, that would you know 27 would be kind of quite young actually in most, <laughs> in most places that I <laughs> DJ at yeah. and probably where you DJ actually mm. a lot of the time you know Um but anyway, the, Gary asked me to play, he was going to start uh, a party called The Raid Club. And they had uh, Dave Little, who was uh, this kind of Geordie artist, do do all these like um, cartoon pictures. Um, and they got Pete Tong and Paul Oakenfold were the other two DJs. So there three of us. Paul was working for Def Jam yeah. at the time. I remember. Uh, and Pete was at London and signing the very early Chicago Records. So it was a really good club, actually. You know, it was a lot of kind of wag club, not wag club people. It was a lot, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of people, West End Trendies, and there was a lot of people from the scene you were on, you know, the Royal Oak. So we kind of had a bit of everything. Um... And a lot of the shop workers down the King's Road, you know, like Johnny Rocker and Fanburn and Junior and all them people who worked in Reese and Robot. And um, it was great. And, and I just, I was playing reggae records, lot of Studio One. I was playing kind of 70s revival records. In the back room or in the main room? In the main room first, you know, when I was like the warm-up DJ. Um, and yeah. Where, where was Raid? We did. We did um, the Wag. We did um, the Hundred Club. We did an all-nighter at the Hundred Club. We did that really big hotel on High Park Corner, a big basement there. Um, we did Whopping Warehouse Studio. We did the film studios at Hammersmith. Hammersmith Studios down by on the river. So Acid House had started. It was... It, no, it, without a name, I think. Was there ecstasy? Uh, yeah, there was, but people... people had Shum started? No, no. And, and people didn't know how to use ecstasy, you know? Um, I think that it had been in London for quite a long time, actually. You know, people... There was a lot... There was, it was a big... Turnover of people going backwards and forwards. Oh, I to thought New it was York.
0: invented in Ibiza. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that, but there was a lot of people going backwards and forwards to New York from from about eighty two. Um, the beat route Chris Sullivan, and his crew did did a um, a trip where people were you know on the Freddie Laker trip, and Steve Lewis actually got to he was the DJ at the beat route. He played, they all went to the danceateria. Steve played at dance danceateria. Fat Tony was resident at Nils. Um, in that period, uh, and him and like Boy Jules were going to the garage and hanging out. They were in the booth with Larry and all that, you know, Caper and and um, and loads of this. You know, these things were coming back. But I, I, I think that um, it was. It wasn't until the uh, the people come back from my Ibiza and went, right? No, this is this is this is how it is. You know, this is this is how it works. I think it's a bit like you know, you could imagine jazz. You know, you play jazz to a, rec- a bloke who's never seen, ne- never been to a jazz club. And you play this record and you go, what do you think? And you go, yeah, it's all right. And then you go, right, okay, now watch this. And you show him a, p- a film of the same record at the Electric Ballroom. And they go, oh, yeah, i got it. And um, the same, same as with Northern Soul. You know, you play these records on their own. Mm, yeah no, yeah they're all right. You see, you see them being played in the context, and there's people leaping about, and everyone clapping at the same moment, and all that, and you got it. And I think Acid House needed that. You know, it needed someone to say, um, "This is what you do." You know, you have this strobe, you have this smoke, you have the records mixed properly, and you, you, you know, you've got this drug that's the the catalyst to it all. And Shuman, Shum, Paul, and Danny. At Shum and Future, provided that hmm. template, you know, um, because it did, it did need that. You know, there's millions of people were playing house records before, long before Danny and long before Paul, um, and um, you know, people were taking ecstasy long before Shum, you know. But it was only when it was all laid out there. You go, you know.
0: Okay, uh, one question: um, Manchester or London? Who had the um formula, shall we say, for Acid House first. Ibiza. 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 But then, because they all say, you know, people who went to Hacienda say that they had it first. And then I don't remember that. I remember London being, I remember going to the Hacienda and it being a little bit flat.
1: Well, you know what? I went to... Maybe that's just me. I can, I can remember the actual date. We all went to the Hacienda on the first Friday in January, 1988, because Chelsea were in the FA Cup third round at Old Trafford and we all went up there and funny enough I can even remember who was there there was a uh, (laughs) there was a little a little train group of us that featured Hazeman Rocker Dirtbox feel. When you say rocker, you mean John Rocker? Johnny Rocker. As in freeze? N- no, no. no you Johnny-, know, Johnny Rocker, the lunatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no. okay, yeah. I always got confused between the two of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, the both, guy, actually, both lunatics. Yeah, yeah. The guy who worked for Michiko, yeah. you know, he brought Michiko. Yeah, right. he
0: scared me. I remember going to festival weekenders and he when, when he yeah. was coming towards me, I was, I'd yeah. avoid him.
1: Yeah, well, he wa- he wasn't really a scary person. But in, in he real did life. frighten me. Josh, go play this tune. I was like, because oh, I was DJing. Yeah. And he'd become, yeah. I know oh, he's yeah. here. He's on the yeah, dance floor. I <laughs> I know. In, in, in real life, in, in real life, he, he, he was, you know, he was a, a, a very nice. And he is a very nice mm. guy. I think he was just a bit kind of. I don't know. He had this big kind of a lot of front really that scared a lot of people who didn't know him properly. Yeah. Um, and uh, we all went there, and I remember, I remember going there, and it was quite strange because I remember I expected it, it to be all house music, uh, and I was looking forward to it and um, the biggest records they played that night was uh, Rock the Bells, you know, LL Cool J and, and Peter Piper, Run DMC and the, the crowd were going mad to that. and I was a little bit disappointed with that but, I, you know, I think that there were from what I'm told, because I wasn't there but a lot of the workers in Ibiza who you probably can, you can say that they were the guys who brought it back they, they were from like London, Sheffield and Manchester so, if you want to call it a score draw, freeway way with London, Sheffield, in Manchester, let's do that. Right, that's a great answer. Because I'm, I'm not, <laughs> in, not. It's such an old, an old, you know, an old kind of argument that it's yeah, it's it's gone and buried now. You know, who 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 did it first probably doesn't matter. Who did it better? You know, we did. <laughs> so and we still do. <laughs> so, um,
0: so well, I don't know.
1: Some, I
0: mean, to be honest with you, when I go Manchester, Nottingham, um, Leeds, these days, it's, it's, it's on. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it, I'm. It, I'm, it, I'm. 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 But um, it, it goes through phases, though, doesn't it? I think London's a little bit stuck in itself. St- yeah, it really. Uh, recently, I found. I mean, I, I love it. Obviously, in London, it's hardcore, and it, and when it goes off, it's, it's. Uh, it doesn't get any better. But I do think uh, um around the country, there's. It's been really great the last couple of years. I don't know what. what, what I mean, have you have you been playing
1: out out Um, you, you know what? Not not so much up, up up north, but I think I think that. What Manchester and Leeds and that they have is they have a big student population, uh, which is always great, you know, because you get all these kids from all around the country and probably now all around Europe uh, and they're all meeting each other and it, sorry, they're all having a honeymoon period and they all go out and they're all, you know, they they're like... I'm pretty sure when you're playing these records to them, this is the first time they've ever heard them, and it's like magical, you know. Whereas in London, you're playing records to kind of probably older people who've probably grown up with these records. Mm. So it's a, it, you know. I love we,
0: you've got a theory for everything, Terry. It's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep throwing them at you. It, ca- it
1: can get <laughs> annoying. Trust <laughs> me. So why, why, ask something in or out? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I tell you what. I tell you what. <laughs> that man. That man. Right. You love him, though, don't you? That, we we all love him at Chelsea, and we all want him to stay. Absolutely. Oh, okay, I get it. But I do think I do think it's actually disgusting what what they were doing to him at train station. I think there's a couple know, of
0: blokes, though, isn't it? That's, that's the yeah. power of YouTube, though. Yeah,
1: that is the power of YouTube, and and um, it's not and, the real. And, and and I think that um, you know, I think he's he's been a you know a wonderful manager. Yeah,
0: it's about time he beat Mourinho in at least one game. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, okay, let's talk about these records. So you've done um you've done. Th- Two box sets um, so far, CD box sets, and there's a third one coming. Um, Acid Rain, Acid Thunder. You don't know the name for the third one, um, but uh, tell us more or less the breakdown of, of what it's all about.
1: Well, basically, um, the last few years, I kind of noticed that uh, um, a lot, a lot of old house records have become very collectible again, um, and. Maybe it's just because there's this kind of uh, resurgence of vinyl, and there's a lot of really good house music on vinyl now that doesn't get released digitally. So people have been going back into stores, um, because they're back in stores. They, you know, they, or, or whether it's just that there's a new generation of of DJs, uh, are, who don't have these records, and are finding that you know if if you're um, if you want to stand out as a DJ, then you know playing the the beatport top ten. Ain't really going to get you anywhere because everyone's got it. So um, I just noticed how expensive they were, you know. And, and you ju- and I just thought, you know, we should we should do uh, some compilations. So I, I spoke to Ian because he had the tracks. Ian Dewhurst. Ian Dewhurst, who had the tracks catalogue, and uh, and I just started digging in there. And then you know, di- and with with the power of YouTube. Um, Why it may be very kind of rubbish when it comes to like flaky football fans. It's very good for finding music and, and for listening to music, and you could find, you know, you can listen to what's the B side and what's the A side. And, and we just got really deep into it. And what was supposed to be a double CD turned up to be a five CD box set, and then it went into a, another box set. Um, so, what's the difference between well, Acid Rain and Acid Thunder? Um, politics. Right. Is the but it's the same sort of era, the same music. It's eighty six to eighty nine. Yeah, um, but in Chicago, you've got you had the two big players were Tracks yeah. and DJ International, mm. and um, I was a bit
0: more of a Tracks man myself.
1: Yeah, what's that? Yeah. Why is that? Um, a
0: bit more avant garde.
1: Avant garde. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Future and, Tracks, and and it's um, definitely more kind of techno as it tracks, yeah. it's techno you know whereas uh dj international was very much more kind of big vocals. soulful right um a, a continuation of of the kind of new york club tradition and but neither of the neither of the owners of the labels would have each other would have their music on the same late on the same record so we had to hold back and we did the um acid funder then was the DJ International one. And we looked around at little labels and small labels that were bouncing off of each other. And we've got another 50 or 60 tracks on there. So wow! So,
0: not all the tracks on this box set are necessarily classics. I mean, there were some tracks there that you, you, you hadn't heard before. You discovered yeah, them no, on YouTube. Yeah, no, no,
1: yeah, there was stuff right. that I never heard. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to do a classics you know, I'm not really interested in doing a, uh, a a box set full of classics. You know, we've all heard those. And, and to be quite honest with you, it, it can get very boring.
0: Which is the one on Acid Rain that you think is, wow, I, I can't believe we didn't catch on this one well, when it know, came out.
1: You know what? There's loads and loads of them, actually. Um, you know, there, there's stuff on there. There's, uh, there's, even peop- there's even artists who I discovered. You know, and then, you know, there's a guy called Marcus Mix who... Um, there's a track on there, and it's Psych- Psycho House, uh, and he's just this like crazy guy, very very hard to deal with. Actually, you know, he's sending like emails to Ian, threatening this and threatening <laughs> that, and you're not having this, and you can't have this, mm. um, and it's just just amazing, and very much kind of it's quite a few of them kind of in that moody man kind of vein where there's a kind of paranoia in in the in the music you know that, that you know and, and these guys a lot of them have, have been brought out of um retirement in the last few years by what's going on in berlin and rush hour records as well out of amsterdam and they've been kind of either giving them old tracks that were never released or they've been like you know remastering old classics so th- this kind of music um it really stands up to what's happening now in in-house music a lot of young producers are making records on the same equipment as what these guys made equipment on uh made their records on so you know i'm very proud of them actually and um you know they've been selling very well um you know as i say you know laurent x there's a uh, Tracks, there's there's tracks, there's tracks that you will know, and if if people went out during that time, they will know the records. But also, there's a lot to be learnt, really. I think you know, um, the Acid Thunder gets a little bit crazier as well. Um, There's tracks on there that never got released, and there's stuff on there that's, yeah, it's a little bit avant-garde and a little bit kind of undanceable, but I like that, you know. And you can impress your kids with it. You know, they go, Oh, I hate this. What's this, dad? This is rubbish. And you go, Yeah, you know, <laughs> <sounds> as, <laughs> your kids now sound like your dad did then, but you know, yeah, no, so it's all good, actually. Do you
0: think that that was the golden age for house music, or has it had, you know, oh, I mean, you've been DJing throughout the whole time. So, you know, where does it fit in the grand scheme of things?
1: Uh, I think there's, I think, with any, as with any genre of of music, there's there's golden ages, you know. The early age was the golden ha- age of Chicago house. You know, the ni- early 90s to the mid-90s was definitely the golden age of New York house. And um, probably, you know, the last 10 years has, has been the golden age of European house. Um, but I think the, 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 the early Chicago stuff kind of still resonates with what's going on now, whereas the, the New York stuff seems to have um, dated not so well, I think. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Well, I, I like the way you sort of say there's that slight paranoia bit yeah. in, in some of it, which which you come through, in Detroit as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, one of the really interesting aspects of, of you as a producer and raconteur and... <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to describe yourself is the fact that you put out this great magazine um, fanzine, whatever you want to call it, Boys Own. Tell us a little bit about that and why that came through and, and the whole concept.
1: Um, to be quite honest with you, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in a time where the, the, you couldn't find out anything, what was going on. There was no, there was no way of finding out. You know, you, you had Blues and Soul. And you looked in the back page of Blues and Soul, and it would have someone's chart. And I remember seeing, you know, Tim West was chart. He was playing, I think, it Gullivers or something like, that, you mm. know, and and he had uh,
0: with Graham <laughs> Gold, yes,
1: <yeah. laughs> you know, and he was playing kind of Paradise Garage music. Mm. You know, I remember seeing a chart, and he had a uh, first choice, let no man put And Sunder as his number one record. And I and I remember going out and listening to that record deliberately because you know Tim West was. But there was no way of, of finding out anything. So we were kind of, you know, you had blues and style and then the face come along and the face was kind of, you know, for art students and it was all very well and good. And um, we just decided to, to, to do a little fanzine for us. Uh, and we had, every, it seemed at the time in the 80s, nearly everyone we knew worked in a shop, whether that was a clothes shop, record shop or a shoe shop. So it was like, oh, we can just sell them in their shops, you know. That's no problem at all. You know, 50 pence. (laughs) You know, I'd put them in the back of my car and I would drop them to robot American classics. Uh, You know, we'd take them to record stores around town. The ones that would have them didn't really get very well received, actually, in record stores. You know, there was far too much swearing and sort of uh, angriness amongst us. Really? Yeah, Yeah. So which record shops were the
0: most conservative?
1: Um... Well, I just I just remember taking it into certain stores, City Sounds, in in you know, and it was like, oh no, no, we don't do that sort of stuff, yeah. and and we just do Japanese imports. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hunt up wind, you know, <laughs> um, and um, it yeah. So we 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 never really kind of broke into that market, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I would be a liar if I told you we sold more than two and a half thousand of any edition, um. And it was only kind of when Acid House broke that we, we kind of discovered that we had a place. Paul Oakenfold gave me an article um, and he said, I've wrote this article, I've just come back from my PIFA and it's brilliant out there. And I'm starting this club with Nancy Noyes at Future and, you know, I've got some pictures. But you can't say it's me. You, you can't tell anyone I've wrote this because you know, it talks about drugs. And we can't talk about drugs. You know, I'm in the industry. I'll be sacked. So it was like, okay. And we, we put this article in and it was called Bermondsey Goes Balearic. Um, and we were we were hand stenciling everything at the time. And I did the hand stenciling and spelt Balearic wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely how, wrong. How you do you pre- spell Balearic? I'm well, to well <laughs> not, not, not like Eric Malcolm. That's how I spell it. <laughs> <coughs> and, um, and 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 you know suddenly kind of we had this kind of like kind of almost obscene power you know and then we started becoming little megalomaniacs putting like things in the uppers and downers like oh um, what's you know next the next big thing kicker revival and suddenly everyone was wearing kickers and we were like you know oh you know and that actually was the was the, the killing of the the, the the, book, uh, the fanzine because Weverall, in, in true Weverall style decided that he was 29 I think and he said I'm 29 years old I can't be telling people what they can wear and what they're not allowed to wear you know so we should kill it and we said alright we'll kill it and then you wow. know as with anything as with records as with clothes as with you know it, it, the longer it went on the more it got It took a kind of mythical status. Mm. And the more people started collecting it and the more people started looking into what was written and going, oh, yeah, that actually happened, didn't it? Oh, that actually happened. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, we did a book a few years ago, compilation Compilation. of all the... All the fan scenes, mm. uh, which sold rather well, yeah. uh, especially kind of in places like Japan, where they kind of seem to be really into it i, I don 't I don't think I knew you I maybe
0: i, I can 't remember but I, I know that my great um, you did a chart for us I did a chart for you, you did chart. But I remember my great introduction to boys own was um, was going because I, de- I did a party at Fulham Football Club on a Saturday. Okay used to use the um, social room in the back nice stadium nice spot with Chris Bangs and we did a party in there and then it um, <clears throat> had to finish quite early I think about midnight or one and then everyone was like All right Charles you know let's go to the boys own party and I'd never been and this is like you know you'd been doing them for a while but obviously I was DJing a lot and so never sure. quite corresponded but I remember going to some place in Surrey somewhere it was like about an hour's drive west down the M440 or something And uh, I had my first, I arrived and it was kind of, it was peak time. It was, this was the moment. (laughs) (laughs) And all I'm going to say is that I didn't go to bed that night and I went straight to Dingwall's the following day. Well done you. For Sunday. (laughs) It was a slightly, it was definitely a different type of Dingwall's that day. It was an amazing experience for me to go there. Do you remember when that would have been? Which party that would have been?
1: Well, we stopped, I mean, we actually stopped doing parties in in about 91. So we we had, we had, uh, we, we did our first party in '86. Uh, in um, a little place in Chelsea, Café d'Artiste. Right, Café d'Artiste, right. Yeah, Done. Um, and it was just our friends there, and it was full of people who worked in robot, and everyone dressed in black in Dr. Martens. Mm. And we were playing kind of probably very much like what was being played at a special branch, yeah. but with Weverall also playing uh, kind of electronic pop music. Then we did another party... Uh, well, me and Weverell went to play, and I think I'm sure it was at Gulliver's, and we got thrown off the decks. Uh, Weverell played um, the the theme tune from the six four six <laughs> six six four squadron that film. I <laughs> put the smoke machine on and jammed it on, and uh, I think it was Graham Cantor who was kind of angry, really angry and get off. What are you playing? <laughs> and we got thrown out of there. Brilliant. Um, and then and then I Acid I was come along and, and we did we did an outdoor first ever kind of outdoor party in Guildford. Yeah, that's the one I think it must have been. Yes, now. it must have been. Yeah, was it in a, like a barn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that was kind of our first. Big kind of proper. Party. That was the time
0: that I went over to the boot of my car and I saw. I, people were saying, "You got to play some records, trails You got to play some records, Charles. But <laughs> I was. I remember, <laughs> I remember it was sunrise at this point, and uh, and uh, I to be honest with you, I'd, I'd, I'd been in my car for three hours, <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah. Anyway,
1: it was a good. It was a good. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> was, a, it was. a fantastic <laughs> party. I mean, I, the one thing I do remember of that part is that the guy whose house it was, and he had a you know, barn in his house. Um, he had children in the house and and about nine o'clock in the morning um, he was sitting he'd got his guitar out of the house boy George was there and he was strumming along with boy George singing and his children lined up in their pyjamas listening (laughs) and his dad he's like I've got boy George here get in line I'm playing with him and he was playing guitar I don't know what he was playing but he was playing some song and boy George was singing a long life and the kids were all there in wonder um, and it, it was it was quite innocent though because the police actually turned up about 11 o'clock in the morning and walked down the path and there's 300 people sort of there dancing and it, it all went quiet and they went what are you doing and they well we've come on we come from London on a coach how long are you going to be here uh another two hours yeah alright but make sure you clear up after you and then they went <laughs> you know and literally you know six months later there was all sorts of you know raids and people being busted and, yeah. and people being arrested and, mm. and, and um, so I'm quite pleased that kind of you know we, we managed to be kind of there in that innocent kind of.
0: But I get a feeling interestingly of any movement one thing that and Britain's always been really good at this there's always been a, a sort of subversive social political agenda to a degree with you know punk music or whatever it is mods and with the rave scene there was in a way it was a massive change in terms of the attitude because as a DJ before and after it, you know, it was... I remember there'd be two rooms at the Special Branch. There'd be like Pete Tong and Danny Rampling downstairs and Nikki Holloway and then I'd be upstairs with with Chris Bangs, the, 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 the entrance bit. And you know, if we had a, if we had a smoke in there, we'd get into trouble by you know by all the lot downstairs who were just drinking beers. It was all a, it was a sort of beer thing back, yeah. back then, and and that was the society to a degree with within the soul scene or the the, the 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 disco club scene at the time. And then suddenly ecstasy arrived, and it all just completely flipped over. And suddenly um, they went from being really conservative to being like the most radical people on the block. So there was yeah. such a ma- mad switch in terms of how people were. Suddenly, you know, those the talk about the Portsmouth fans and, you know, taking ecstasy in the terraces and all that. Sure, and it, sure. it, it was a mad change in time. But what I thought with you guys, what was interesting with you and Weatherall and, and the boys' own thing is that you were the only people to really um, see it, see a bigger picture and, oh, okay. and to try and sort of, you know, it fitted as a sort of musical movement with
1: some sort, it wasn't, you know, there was something more to it. Well, I, I think the difference was that, that most people, when Acid House come along, we didn't see it as kind of a new beginning. You know, we didn't see it as something like completely different. We just saw it as a continuation of everything that would had been. Uh, and it was just kind of part of the culture. So kind of, we didn't dump everything. You know, if you went to a boy's own party in 88, you know, you were just as likely to hear Dave Henley playing reggae than than you was say Trevor Fung playing rave music. Mm. You know, um, and you know we just we just kind of stuck with. It was almost kind of I, I think in many ways, um, we we loved the old school of London. You know, we were part of the old school. We were never kind of we were never. You weren't Kester. you know what I went to a loads of casters well we went to the first eight casters and I loved them, every one of them um, but it wasn't it wasn't us you know I've got pictures of us at caster with with Weverall, with a clash vest on and a mohawk you know um, and we had fantastic time but we spent most of the time in the jazz room um, and I had my crown slippers on you know uh, church's crown slippers and I had a fantastic time but We'd, we never connected with anyone there. And then we would go to, like, the beat route on a Friday night and get knocked back every other week. So we kind of never really fitted in there. Um, and it was only kind of when we kind of become boys' own that we kind of had, had our own identity. So we kind of, you know, we, we we took loads of little bits, I think, from everywhere we'd been and, and created this... Thing around us.
0: Well, how was punk influence influential to you? Were you? Did you go through that? Or uh,
1: well, yeah, yes, I did. But I was, I was really anti-punk. I mean, you know, I, I started going out, sort of proper, you know, proper clubs up West End, seventy-five, and the first when I when we started going out, you know, the kids in there um, were all dressing. In McLaren's shop, they were dressing in Don Letts's Acme Attractions, and they were wearing clothes that, a year later, would become the punk wardrobe. Um, and when, when after the Bill Grundy thing on telly, I remember going to a uh, couple about a month afterwards. I'm um, going to Skindles, and some kids from Reading who were some really good dressers uh, suddenly had sort of like you know got a little bit dirty and their hair was all over the place, and they had a copy of. Anarchy UK, and they give it to the DJ to play, and he was like, you know, got the mic, he went, "This ain't soul," and he smashed it, and uh, and then it was just a split. There was a real split that the people who who were wearing the more outlandish clothes went off and did punk, and and the rest rest of us who were really into the music, you know, I, 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 as I say, I was, you know, I was as much as into the, to buying the records, Ruben Wilson and you know, Donald Byrd and all this, as I was the clothes, you know, we stayed with it. And we kind of saw the punk people as traitors. You know, we saw them as, uh, you know, traitors to the faith. Fashion victims. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Yeah, we did. And I, you know, and I never liked the music. I mean, you know, I had friends who went to see... uh, sex pistols at the 100 club and said oh you should come along i don't want to go and see that old rubbish for you know i'm going to see how players at dunstable you know now in hindsight you think oh i should have gone shouldn't i you know um but that's always you know that's that's a, a fault of mine you know i kind of i'm i'm either yeah you're quite stubborn in I'm that stubborn, way but you I, had to be in this whole yeah, scene and it's, i have both feet in or both
0: feet out yeah yeah that's no, good it's it's a commitment um what do you feel about today and uh do you think it's that sort of passion for a movement is it just impossible to do that now because everybody's online and and it's difficult to have that underground sort of spirit which motivates which creates something you know because everything gets jumped on at the moment it yeah appears. i mean
1: it, it's it's hard to say isn't it because you know i'm 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 in my 50s um and and i can see the big picture and, I've, and I can see, you know, my picture goes back to like, you know, 1970. And I can see everything that's happened and I can kind of go, OK, well, you can see that. You can see how that's part of that. You know, I'm wondering if I was 19 and living in Berlin, uh, whether I would even kind of know who Frankie Knuckles was. You know, I'd be out. I'd be at Panorama Bar. You know, 24 hours a day, surrounded by people. You meet every week there, uh, thinking that this is like, wow, what's where's this come from? Um, it's only when you kind of re- when you can trace everything back that maybe it doesn't become quite so special. Mm. Um, and I'm I, and, and now I kind of look back on on some of the things that I did that I thought was, you know, year dot year one you know, this is this is my Pol Pot thing, you know, 1975, everything was invented in 1975, and then actually you read a book and you go, oh, there's actually people dancing at the sundown in 1972, and he was there, and they were there, and you think, yeah, maybe maybe what, what I thought was kind of like so amazing and so new wasn't quite that. But I, I do agree, I mean, you know, the internet is is for all its fantasticness, you know, uh, uh can be kind of a destroyer I think of creativity um and and also you know can swallow up little micro scenes that would have would have become something different I think that's that there's there's your thing now uh you know if you look back at at kind of the 70s and 80s we had we had hip-hop we had house, we had jazz, we had funk, we had jazz funk, we had rockabilly, we had reggae, we had everything. Now we've got kind of, you know, dance music underground or overground and everything kind of, um, it's there, isn't it? It's up to the DJ, I suppose, to, to, to make it interesting and up to the DJ to, to have a good taste in music which is, I, I think, was is almost the most important thing. Selection. Uh, always more important than, than actually how you play, is what you play. Um, but I think, yeah, the internet, I don't know. You know, um, David Byrne was saying it was killing killing creativity and, may, you know, maybe he's right. I don't know. And um, from your point of view sa- now... Sa- I've got to say... Sa- Maybe he's right, but I'm on it, like, like you know, twenty four <laughs> seven. Yeah. So I, I'm part of the problem. I think yeah. you know. In that, in I mean, that it's sense. funny
0: for, as a as a radio person uh, who spends a lot of my time doing radio shows and stuff. I, it's it feels like there's never been so much choice and so much interesting music. It's just so much of it. You know, it's just a case of just getting through it and and picking it. That's the difficult thing because there's just so much being thrown at you. But if you kind of you know the the, the amount of stuff I've discovered through the internet, sure, is just ridiculous. Well, I mean.
1: Exactly, an amount of stuff I discovered for these two albums on the internet. But the, the problem is, is that I think more to do with, um, you know, digital and, and, and WAVs and MP3s. You know, when when people had to press up records, there was a hell of a lot less. Right, so you had more DJs all playing the same records. Then records were then allowed to become kind of anthems. Mm. They got released, they mm. become a hit. That artist then kind of got some money. Mm. Nowadays, you know that just, you, you know, I, 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 I DJ, you know, in in house clubs that play house, disco, kind of techno, that sort of stuff. And I could be there a whole night and and not know one record that anyone's playing. Um, and then I go on and I play and people go oh I love that record what was that yeah alright okay yeah yeah you know whereas I think in the past you know we would go you'd go to Special Branch or you'd go to Dingwalls and you would you know you would have these records that would become mm. anthems it, that doesn't really happen anymore it doesn't really happen there's such a turnover and there's so many records and DJs I think nowadays are, are caught up in, in a trap of, of playing whatever's new to try, and, to try and be different, but that actually makes them exactly the same. Because to, if the person out there don't know what the record is, who cares whether it's brand new? Yeah,
0: it's they certainly. don't
1: know, do they?
0: It's weird. I mean, I think when you go out these days, it's either completely, you know, every single song and it's a complete cliche and it's just like totally boring. Yeah hip-hop parties, a lot of that stuff is just the same thing, and it's like, oh, God, I can't go through this again. Or oh, you go to places and it's literally, you don't know anything. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> we're all looking yeah. for the middle bit, We right? are looking for the middle bit. I mean, uh, you know, and, 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 and I try and do the middle bit, mm. uh, and but it's just like, even the middle bit's kind of, it's just so much now that, yeah. that, that you know, yeah, it was much, you know, quality control um, was, was uh, dictated by cost you know, if I made a record and wanted to put it out on Tuning Boy's own, you know, we you say, right, well, we've got to sell at least 2,000 of these to make it, to get your money back. So, you know, if you waited till you had good records. You know, nowadays, you can just put a record up on Beatport, it won't cost you anything to put up, it won't cost you anything uh, and, and, you know, if it sells one copy, you don't care really, do they? You know, there's another one coming along, so. It's a sad, it's a sad sort of way to to sell music i think nowadays
0: yeah that's it's definitely not easy uh, <laughs> as um somebody who's putting records out and are you still doing junior boys are you You're doing the odd things aren't you? we do the odd things yeah
1: we do the odd things and, and we've got hopefully something kind of big up on the horizon i, I can't talk about at the moment because it's not done yet um but you had some hits right what were the biggest hits that you had um the biggest hits we had did were, you make it to top of the pops um of anything you know what, no, I, I actually, me, me and Pete missed out on Tottenham Pots. We did a record with Lolita Holloway. We did a cover of Shout to the Top, Paul Weller. And we missed out by one week, Ugh. by one one spot on w- getting on Tyler Pots. Would you have gone on it? Yeah. 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 I mean, we would have stood behind Lolita and I would have pretended to play keyboards. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say pretend, I mean pretend, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, but, you know, we got to go to Chicago and spend a week in Chicago and, and driving around... With her and Candy J, this kind of transsexual Chicago house legend, in a in a truck uh, making a video, which was fantastic. Um, the biggest tracks, I mean, Chemical Brothers come from us, Underworld come from us, Express Two, Black Science Orchestra, Serious. We had a we had a good run. I mean, a really good run. Did you make some money? Yeah, yeah. Did you
0: manage to keep it? Did it buy pay for your house? Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you've yeah. You've, you've, you've managed to yeah. To get something
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Out, out of this. Yeah,
1: and and, and I think we uh, we put out good records, you know. We there was never there was never a sort of like you know, I look back through the catalogue and think, Oh God, yeah, well, yeah, but you know, it was about money. You know, yeah. it was ne- it was never never the case. We were lucky. We were lucky uh to have people around us who turned out to be really creative you know um, Weverall come in with a, a, a little C60 tape he played in Manchester and he said oh these two kids are giving me this it's really good and it turned out you know these two kids were at uni Manchester and turned out to be the Chemical Brothers Amazing. You, know, you know they was into Wetherill they were starved up by Wetherill. Uh and then you know and then sort of you know Darren Emerson uh, got to meet these two guys who were in a band who turned out to be Underworld um, Rocky and Diesel were just kind of young kids who were going to special branch, mm. and part of that crew sure. who then jumped into Acid House, and we said, "Go and make a record," you know. And they come and we said, "What do you think of it?" And it was, yeah, "It's great. It sounds like a train." Oh, which, yeah, we call it Music Express, you know, and like you know, thirty thousand twelve-inch singles we sold, you know. So we were lucky, you know. We were lucky. Uh, um and, you know, I thank, uh, you know, I thank God for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. What was, um okay, what was your greatest highlight? Uh, my name it's difficult, general questions, but like best club moment, if you had to go back to
1: one. Uh, my best club moment. As
0: a uh, punter, as somebody. As a punter, you, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, all, all my best club moments are as punters, actually, I've got to say, because DJing, I, 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 I'm, I'm, it's funny, in the last five years, I've become very comfortable with myself as a DJ, but. Before then, I really wasn't comfortable. You know, I, I I started out playing, as I say, Studio One records and, and tracks off of Jazz Juice. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, into into in, I still it, do. Yeah, no, but you know, no, but I, you know, I had loads of comps and I really yeah. enjoyed it, and I just cut records into. And then suddenly, you know, Paul Oakenfold went to me, "Oh, you're not playing in the in the VIP at Spectrum. You're going to play on the middle floor tonight. You know, to to two thousand people." and they want house and I'm going yeah I don't really know how to do this stuff. I've got no idea so it kind <laughs> of uh, that fear real real genuine fear got yeah. a um, whole
0: career of it mate uh,
1: <laughs> yeah uh, kind of set in and and I was never never really really you know I was always kind of Always always had trepidation mm. amongst, amongst mm. my kind of... But I, I'm, I'm, I'm over that now. Mm. I think when I hit 50, it was kind of like, yeah. no one cares anymore. <laughs> <I like. laughs> Same thing happened to me. I mean, like, you know, yeah.
0: I, 15... I think I, I was brutally um, affected by being invited to go and play in places like Germany when I was 21, 22, yeah. on the back of Acid Jazz... Because they thought I was acid house, and they'd heard my name, so I'd turn up in like warehouses in Frankfurt or middle of nowhere, you know, and and I'd be on at three in the morning after you know the <laughs> local equivalent of Sven Vaff at the time, and literally I would destroy. V- events, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the destroyer of events in the space of 10 15 minutes. So, I think that does have an effect on you, yeah. you know, sort of, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, deep down somewhere. But, in a way, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So, yeah, it is a good thing, it is a good thing. Um, uh, uh, and it's character building, <laughs> it, it makes, makes me into the sort of bloody minded person I am today. Mm. Um, so, well, I, 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 the, the moment, few, yeah, you know what, I think the first time. We we used to go to New York for the winter conference mm. uh, before before it before it moved, Miami yeah before yeah. it got moved New Music Seminar New Music Seminar that's right and uh, I we those. we went to um, I, was, I think I was with Dave Durrell. I think it was Dave Durrell. Uh, Gloria who sung a couple of tracks for him Pete Pete Heller and Steve, I think from Junior Poison and uh, we we went to Alphabet City to meet someone, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got a cab afterwards, and we went to Sound Factory. Mm. Uh, Sound Factory to, to, to Del- se- was that the delight night? Uh, no, no, no. It was uh, it was it was it was just Sound Factory on Saturday night, right. and Frankie Knuckles was was the, was the resident DJ there, and we went to see Frankie Knuckles, but he wasn't playing. And I said, oh, it's not Frankie Knuckles. And looking up, and it was this, like, sort of Hispanic guy who turned out to be Junior Vasquez, who's not Hispanic at all, but he pretended he was. He's <laughs> actually from some... Pennsylvania or something. He's German extraction. <laughs> right. Um, and we were in his club, and it was 2000 Queens, you know, there was vogue going on. I'd never even heard about vogue There was runways going on, the lights were... thing. And um, the... The light man and the DJ were working like almost in a theatrical way, you know, and, and he, they did some stuff in there that I reckon they probably do every week. But it was just like, wow, you know, They were like uh, the, the sound was better than anywhere you've ever been in, in this country. And they were like chopping, turning off every light in the house, including the bar, and then just kind of bringing on a mirror ball and an acapella. And it was just it, it was it was. It wasn't. It wasn't a nightclub or a party or how we kind of had ever seen it. It was more like it really was a show, and the, the crowd obviously knew everything that he was doing, and, it, and the reaction was amazing. And we come out there at eleven in the morning, and you know some transsexual hooker tried to get in our cab by, by opening her a, a, a fur coat, you know, and had these big long big breasts putting through the window come on come we're going to party no 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 go away <laughs> we're from London <laughs> Um and, and it was just like wow that, that that's that's what it's supposed to be mm. you know that's how it's supposed to be um, and could never really recreate that um, in in London but we kind of that was our template you know so you know we right, We wanted that we wanted this mixer and we wanted a rotary mixer and we wanted this so it was always something to aspire to. I think you know. Most radical DJ set that you've heard
0: work, um, uh, and DJ. Which DJ have you always
1: gone? Still now, after all these years, you're sort of going that was. Um, well, I'm a big fan of you, actually. No, no. I mean, I remember when you, <laughs> we, you played it, Faith. Uh, <laughs> we used to play it, Faith, for quite a lot of us when, when, yeah. uh, and we did that Country House, and I remember you playing like kind of, you know. You Know a really good mixture of jazz and old records and old disco. Um, Wetherall still, Weatherall. Um, you know what? I, I, you know, we've, and Andrew's a mate of mine. Um, but I kind of he comes from, I think, one of the reasons Own worked really well was that me and him were very much opposites. Uh, and it worked because of the fanzine because he he wrote in a certain style and it worked at the parties because he played music completely different from what i played so i didn't i don't really like the records he plays to be quite honest with you does he know that um probably and 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 i doubt if he likes any of the records i play because he's never asked me to play any of his clubs (laughs) so um it but that's why it worked you know because you had this these two kind of polar opposites Yeah, it wouldn't have been uh...
0: because I'm thinking about the DJs that have come out of the UK scene and who are still relevant today and who still travel around the world and who are still regarded very highly um, by people from all over the place not just London or or Manchester or whatever or Ibiza I always look at Andrew Retherall and I sort of see him all over the world still kind of you know he's got this kind of massive deep following absolutely Harvey is is another one um I'm trying to think of any others, but those two seem to sort of come out as DJs that have followed that kind of house ethos, techno ethos to a degree, but incorporated it I, with I,
1: that. I, I, think, I think they... Uh, I, I saw Harvey twice last year, once at the uh, South Bank, where he played uh, a disco set.
0: For for the um, Meltdown.
1: Yeah, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, he played... Uh, the last record was... Uh, the 10-minute version of Love Machine by The Miracles, you know, with the guitar solo, three-minute solo. And it was just great. You know, there's people going around, and it was brilliant. And then I went to see him at Player Fabric, and he played kind of mid-tempo, kind of 80s, kind of Francois K. dubs almost. And I really hated it. I really hated it. And... uh, I, Heidi uh, spoke to me on Facebook and I, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather be honest and say, yeah, it was all right. And I said, well, I really didn't like it. I didn't feel the music. And she must have said to him, you know, oh, why did you play that? And he said, because I can. <laughs> right. And I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't sort of like care, really. Well, I'm sure he cares. Yeah. He doesn't.
0: He doesn't feel like he's... He doesn't, a um,
1: uh, he's is controlled by yeah, by by the the floor yeah. So he he's controlling the floor and and you know and just because I didn't like it you know it was still packed at three o'clock or four o'clock when it ended and and the crowd liked it so uh, I think him and Wetherall are very much like that. Um, I'm a lot more flakier. I do care and 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 I, and my DJing is kind of. Um, Goes back to 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 seeing people like Sean French, you know, and Chris Brown, and then Steve Lewis, and then you know Trevor Shakes, and 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 onwards like that. So I've kind of I, I'm much more in that kind of tradition, I think, of 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 kind of soul and black music. Whereas Andrew and I think Harvey as well, they come from kind of rock tradition, where you know actually that like you know keeping the floor dancing isn't that important long as everyone's still talking about it
0: yeah 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 it's interesting actually I mean I was talking to this someone the other day in in a weird way some of my sets when I left the floor left DJing and I was like a bit disappointed myself because I didn't really um do it in a traditional sense yeah like you know response clapping shouting whatever those moments the nights when I thought i wasn 't very good are the nights that people remember the most it's yeah. re- it 's interesting that isn't it so maybe that's they've made a career out of that
1: yeah well, <laughs> uh, yeah no probably and, and, and I think what it does is it, it makes the people who do like you kind of become a little community, and then people like communities so they like to join onto it and you know that, that's that, that 's what dance music i think uh, that that 's the real genius of dance music that it does create little communities mm. and people do stick together you know I, I'm you know I we did a, a boys own party last two weeks ago in a, in a gay club in Old Street and um, we had Ted Patterson a, a New York DJ from the 90s play and um, we had about 300 people there and probably um, 90% of the people I knew from either before house Or the early days of house and and that kind of community you know it's it's great I mean you know you do them dingles nights and and people you know that I think I think dance music you know is it's um, it's spiritually spiritually a good thing yeah
0: I, I agree with you so we've done acid rain acid thunder you're thinking of a name for the third one you've done DJ international tracks what's the focus on the on the third
1: well Basically, we have New York to, to take care of, right. as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, there's some a little golden period in New York. Mm. Uh, at the same time as House was being born in, in Chicago, which kind of had, you know, you've got all those like Timmy Registered and Boyd Jarvis records on Easy Street and stuff. I think in New York they called it club music. Mm. That, that's what they were calling it. And stuff coming out of New Jersey, like uh, Blaze, very Hurley Blaze stuff so i would like to i would like to get involved in that no one's done eight ball particularly but no that, that no. was quite interesting eight yeah ball. eight ball um and then you've got new groove yeah new groove
0: that's the you one know. i meant yeah new groove yeah um DJ eight, Smash eight, and eight ball
1: that. was a was a kind of 91 i think onwards right uh very yeah. jazzy but, yeah you know yeah it was a no,
0: new groove is the one i was thinking about yeah. with the burrell brothers yeah. and all that yeah some really interesting stuff yeah thank you very much Terry Farley um, it's been a pleasure it's the first time we've done this actually no
1: no it's a pleasure to be here actually you know, great walking through enemy territory yes <laughs> at indeed 10 o'clock in the morning yeah Arsenal
0: <laughs> Tube um, th- I'll drop you off at um, Finsbury Park if it's easier for <laughs> you so a little okay. bit. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> well listen good luck with the next record and uh, I'd love to play another boys own party one of these days I'd be Absolutely. quite a laugh, wouldn't it? Let's, it was, let's do it let's, yeah, definitely a little cheeky one Terry thank you very much thank you cheers man <laughs> So we envision by saying to go back
2: to I walked right into your story They
3: killed
2: my head, I closed my eyes and
3: breathed your heart
2: The distant presence for falling
3: Your best plays and your best ways are drowning
2: Thank you.